Jesus, our, our affections have been all over the place this week. But for this moment, our affections are toward you. And Lord, we thank you that in your grace and in your mercy, you see you see that trying throughout the week, that effort, and you honor it and you invite more of it and you're just so glad to draw near to us today. Yeah, that might be from the Lord for someone in the room, I'm not sure, but I just feel like you're kind of reflecting on the contrast of this moment to the rest of the week and like the Lord sees that, okay? And so Lord, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes and our ears to all that you have for us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You can have a seat while we get into it over here. Oh, Caleb. Nothing makes me feel like a self-important megachurch pastor than when Caleb brings me my table. <laughs> so, extra crowns in heaven for you, my friend. We're going to be drinking from a fire hose again today, so um, if you need to listen to this sermon a couple times this week, that's okay, because it is that way. It is not, if you hear this and you go, I didn't know that, why do I suck? That's not the voice of Jesus in your life, okay? So we're in a six-week series on the gospel. This is good news. Last week we talked about how You can kind of see four different kinds of people or even track a movement where the gospel is accepted. There's these like moments of revival in American history throughout the world where the gospel is accepted and it's received and it's lived and it's embraced and everybody in the room knows it and can share it and identify it and understand it. The gospel of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, how that purchases forgiveness of our sins and sets us free. It's clear and it's accepted. And then something happens along the way, maybe a generation down, what happens is the gospel is assumed. I believe this, you believe this, we all believe this. Yeah, yeah, we're good, right? I mean, we haven't been to church in years, but we spend every Sunday family time. That's what Christians do, right? Okay, yeah, good. We're, the gospel, we're fine. But then it, something happens where the gospel's confused, is Jesus really the only way? This 2,000-year tradition on teaching on sexuality, did Jesus really mean that? And before long, it goes from confused to forgotten. What was that again? Oh, that's just the thing that we did when I was growing up. My grandma, when she was involved in church, right? The gospel's accepted, it's, it's assumed, it's confused, it's forgotten. And honestly, I think what's cool about our church is... We're a church that has the gospel pretty clear, and it's never a bad idea to plant a flag in faith and say, no, we want to be really clear about the gospel. What I love about our church, though, is there's a lot of us in the room that are kind of coming from places where the gospel is assumed or confused or even forgotten, and it's kind of a rediscovery, which is really good. And I I just want us to plant a flag in faith in this series and say, no, we're going to be a church where the gospel remains clear. We're going to be people that live in homes and in communities that the gospel is clear, and that, that clarity in the gospel is going to press us out into mission. Uh, we want everyone in our neighborhoods, in our networks, in our families, 
in our workplaces to have an opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel, right? We want it to be clear. And so to help us make it clear, what we're doing is we're looking at the whole Bible. No big deal, (laughs) right? We're looking at these two huge themes that trace their way through the Bible. And one of those themes is relationship, that that, y'all, God wants to have a relationship with you. The God of the universe wants to have a relationship with you. He often expresses that relationship through something called a covenant. I am yours, you are mine. The, The second theme is responsibility, that God wants to partner with us in his purposes and give us responsibility in his kingdom to expand it, relationship and responsibility. Last week, we looked closely at that theme of relationship, how God sends Jesus, and in Jesus' life and death and resurrection, he pays the price for sin. He reunites us with God so that we can uh, be restored to that relationship. And that theme of relationship is on the very first pages of the Bible. God creates us with a unique capacity to be in relationship with him. We walk with him in the garden in the cool of the day. But that theme of relationship is all the way at the end of the Bible too, isn't it? It's this idea that we will abide with God in intimate relationship face-to-face for forever. But then we see this theme of responsibility that at the very beginning of the Bible, God says, rule and reign over the earth and subdue it. Govern it, right? Fast forward to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we will spend eternity ruling and reigning with God as a kingdom of priests. And today we're going to double-click on this theme of relationship. We're going to look at how between these bookends of the Bible we use that relationship for selfish purposes and also to kind of bind ourselves to forces of darkness and how Jesus comes to set us free from all of that. But as we start, go ahead and take a look at this video. So today we're talking about the gospel and the kingdom. And this is something that um, the Lord has really been um, growing my understanding of over the last uh, couple of years. So I came to Christ at the age of five in Sunday school. Um, I prayed and asked Jesus to be my savior. And obviously at that point, I wasn't really thinking ahead to careers or kingdom responsibility. I really was just kind of living my life as a kid. But as the years went on, I definitely felt a call toward ministry. And so that's kind of the path that I started on. But I also worked at colleges. Um, I've had other jobs outside of ministry. Um, And even in the midst of that, there's been this kingdom call on my life, this idea of why am I here? And over the past few years, that has become crystallized and more clear for me. And that's that I'm here to make disciples. And that's something that doesn't necessarily rely on me having a position here at the church but it's just something that God has called me to do using my personality, my gifts, the opportunities that he's given me, the relationships that he's placed in my life. And so I've really found that my calling, my kingdom calling, is to come alongside people and to build relationships with them, whether they don't yet know Jesus or whether they already do, and to help them become more like him, to help them come to know him, or to help them grow um, in their discipleship and becoming like him. And so um, as we kind of step into this kingdom idea this morning of what the gospel looks like, um, I'm just so excited for you to really think about and seek out what the Father has for you and how he's getting your attention this morning. Jeff mentioned this question, why am I here? It's, It's one of two questions burning in every human heart. The first question is, who am I? 
And the gospel makes it possible for what Jesus heard from the Father as in his baptism to, for us to hear that too. As Jesus is baptized, as he comes up out of the water, he's, he hears the Father say, you are my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. And, in, and through faith, the Father says the same over us. You are my beloved son. You are my cherished daughter in whom I am well pleased. Who am I? But, but Steph alluded to this other question. Why am I here? This is question is rocking our culture in the same way that the other question, who am I, is rocking our culture. Because ours is a culture of overwork and careerism, right? A lot of us define ourselves by what we do. Our lives are about success, and that's true at any age. I mean, even retired folks in the room, you tend to introduce yourself on the basis of what you did prior to retirement. A few years ago, I was at my brother's rehearsal dinner, and his wife's grandfather and our step-grandfather were meeting for the first time. And Steph and I, like, sat there. We could have eaten popcorn for this conversation. As these two men in their 80s compared salary packages and retirement bonuses and the level they were at in their company and how many continents they had visited in younger generations, this is still with us. We define ourselves by our career. We define ourselves by our side hustle and our crushing of goals and all of these things. But, and, and here's what's interesting. My, our generation, if you're kind of close to my age, which is young and attractive, um, <laughs> you've been raised, you've been raised with, not enough of you are laughing at that and I'm offended. We've been raised with this idea, if you do what you'll love, you'll never work a day in your life. And you've may heard me say this before, y'all, I am doing exactly what I am here to do, okay? It still feels like work. My, my life, my, our work brings us an amount of joy that you could not possibly fathom. But about 60% of the time, it is still just like writing emails and handling details and drudgery. Right? And so a lot of people in my generation are kind of pursuing like, well, if I can only find my way to this thing that will make me happy, then I will. Work is still work, y'all. So we're answering this question of like, why am I here on the basis of our career? We're answering this question of why am I here with a hypervigilance toward justice and injustice. I, I have some friends that care deeply about injustice toward people of color, toward the unborn, and I watch my news feed in a week like this, filled with cries for justice. But it feels like it's kind of been that way since sometime in 2020. And, and now it feels like every time I log on to social media, I, I got somebody telling me about justice for Duante Wright, which is important, and justice for George Floyd, which is important, and, and how people on the autistic spectrum refer to be called this and, and to be included in society and this way, and hey, hey, now, now is Ramadan, so uh, here's how you can love your Muslim neighbors, and, and here's how poverty is structural, and here's how this issue, and, and if I listen closely behind my friends whose social media feeds are just constantly filled with the cause du jour, uh, I, I hear... 
this endless striving to keep up, this endless striving to be woke enough, this endless striving to reach a goalpost that with every crisis and with every case of injustice keeps moving the goalpost. And I love these social, I love people in my life that care about social justice, but I also just feel like they are defining themselves on this endless striving to respond. And it just seems exhausting. So we define ourselves and we find our purpose in our career and in our hypervigilance toward injustice. And we also find, don't we, our, our, we have friends and family, siblings, neighbors who answer this question, why am I here? Not through organized religion per se, but through kind of open-ended spirituality. And some of that's light, isn't it? horoscopes, crystals. But then it sometimes seems to kind of grow, going to a fortune teller, a sudden interest in magic and in charms. And to prove to you that this isn't just stuff from Harry Potter, um, listen to this quote from 2018. It's from an article in The Atlantic. We may not be Christian here, but we still pray, said a woman dressed entirely in white as she addressed a large audience of African-American women. Standing behind a lectern, speaking in the cadences of a preacher, she added, I understand God more now doing what I'm doing than I ever did in the church. The speaker is giving the keynote address last month at the third annual Black Witch Convention, which brought together some 200 women in a Baltimore reception hall. The small but growing community points to the hundreds of young black women who are leaving Christianity in favor of their ancestors' African spiritual traditions and finding, this is interesting, finding a sense of power in the process. In Eden, when we were called to take responsibility to rule and reign, we were granted a measure of spiritual authority and power. And disconnected from that, we can go find it in other places. This is an issue, by the way, that is white and black and young and old. As organized religion moves out of vogue, we are becoming more and more and more and more spiritual all the time. And all of these pursuits, career and social justice and spirituality, they are good gifts. They are good gifts that have been twisted by sin, good gifts that have been twisted by principalities and powers that have only further imprisoned us to self. What looks like freedom in our culture is often jail. So how did this happen? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, where we looked last week, we saw human rebellion. Adam and Eve want to dictate the terms of their relationship with God. And so they find satisfaction and security and safety elsewhere. And in the end, they find themselves bound to sin. But what we miss in these first pages of the Bible is that the human rebellion of Genesis 3 is preceded by and incited by a spiritual rebellion. Because in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are tempted to sin by a serpent, which we recognize as evil incarnate. It's it's Satan. This cunning and shrewd creature is actually a spiritual being who has fallen from grace. And this spiritual rebellion proceeds and incites human rebellion in Genesis 3. And it continues to do so as the pages of the Bible continue. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, we read this. 
Then the people began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any as they wanted as their wives. By the way, that's Genesis 3 language. Adam and Eve saw that the fruit was good to eat, and they took it. Verse 3, then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. Verse 4, in those days and for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth for whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. The sons of God is a phrase in the Old Testament that refers to spiritual beings. And it's at this point that you will now decide I have become a crazy person. The sons of God in Genesis 6 are spiritual beings who take women, force themselves upon them, and those offspring are giants. They are incarnated demons. David fights one. His name is Goliath. Some of David's mighty men and in 2 Samuel 21 fight them. There's these spiritual creatures in rebellion against God, forcing themselves on humanity to add to the chaos. And that human rebellion, which is incited by spiritual rebellion, it reaches its zenith in Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, mankind turns their power and responsibility toward themselves. They say, let us make a tower. Let's make it tall. Let us make a name for ourselves. And as they turn their power toward themselves and their own selfishness, they further imprison themselves to spiritual beings and, and implicate themselves in that spiritual rebellion. So in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, Y'all were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. We all once, while we were in sin, lived in the passions of our flesh, but that's not just personal bad behavior. It has cosmic ramifications because it is manipulated by, pleases, and idolizes powers and principality in dark places. Sin doesn't just separate us from God. It binds us to dark principalities and power and causes us to use our power and responsibility to our own ends. And the good news is this, Jesus comes to set us free from all of this. Jesus steps onto the scene and he opens his ministry in Luke chapter 4. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When Jesus opens his ministry, he opens it on a note of freedom. He's here to proclaim liberty, to set the oppressed free. Jesus does this in his life, by performing miracles, by giving sight to the blind, by healing people of their diseases, by casting out demons. In one particular case of that, in Mark, I think, 9, Jesus casts a legion of demons out of a guy. A legion meaning multiple. Dozens on dozens. 
And once Jesus has set this guy free, he gives him sacred responsibility. Jesus says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This man who was captive to evil spirits is set free and he is given a new task, telling others. Jesus restores spiritual and authority spiritual authority and power to his people. He gives us authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. He gives us the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin and guides us into all truth and who also empowers us with gifts to expand that kingdom and bless the world. Ultimately, Jesus sets us free from slavery to ourselves and to spiritual powers and authorities by dying and rising again. This is what Paul says uh, in Colossians 2, and if you were with us on Good Friday, it'll sound familiar. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature that was not yet cut away, but then God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 2 says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to fear of dying. Jesus' death forgives us, and it restores our relationship to God. Jesus' death also sets us free from spiritual powers and authorities in the unseen places and our desire to use our selfishness to their own ends. For the theologically aware in this room, uh, last week we talked about the penal substitutionary theory of the atonement, that God, uh, that the penalty for our sins is paid by a substitute, Jesus, and that makes us one with God at one moment. Penal substitutionary atonement. Today we're talking about really what's called the Christus Victor Christus Victor theory of the atonement, which is that Jesus has a power over sin and death and the devil. And this gospel was the primary way the gospel was communicated for the first thousand years of Christianity. The Reformation comes along and really emphasizes penal substitutionary atonement. And by the way, I'm just reminding you all how fancy I am and that I've been to seminary and that I know good words. However, there's often a temptation in Christianity to say, we're going to pick one of these models of the atonement as the way the Bible teaches we're saved. And can I welcome you to the buffet called Theological Golden Corral? You don't have to pick one, baby. You can have both. You can have the meat. You can have the steak and the chicken. You can have the lobster and the roast beef. Weird combo. Um, You can have chicken pot pie with your vanilla ice cream right on top of it. You know why? You can do it your way here at Golden Corral. You can have both. These are both good news. And by the way, let's just go back to our Christian brothers and sisters living in the first century under a government oppression that has not been seen on the planet for a hundred years. 
Of course Christus Victor is gospel. They're experiencing, they're plenty aware of their sin. But the good news for them is that they've been set free from all of these forces and are now citizens in God's kingdom. They're aware that Jesus has forgiven them, but this gospel for them was such good news as they lived under oppression, as they lived in a world where demons were hanging out on every corner. As Jesus sets us free through his life and death and resurrection, we are given fresh purpose. We are invited into responsibility. In Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, that beautiful passage on the gospel, Paul ends it and says this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These questions burning in every heart, this question, why am I here? Today I'm here to tell you that the good news answers that. This question burns in our hearts because it's an echo of Eden. We were wired for purpose. We were wired to leverage our spiritual authority and power, not in vague spirituality that imprisons us to spiritual beings, not for our career or endless social justice, but to bless the world, to partner with God and his purposes. And so this is the good news that we find our ultimate purpose as we partner with God to expand his kingdom, that as we take up our ultimate responsibility to bless the world, we actually partner with God instead of further enslaving ourselves to selfish ambition, that we can be set free from the powers of darkness that entice us to use our authority and power to their own ends. This is good news for the workaholic. This is good news for the workaholic who goes to work early and stays late and works three extra jobs and wonders if it all means anything. This is good news for our friends who want to crush their goals with five side hustles because there's so much striving, but we're not meant to strive. Our work in God's eyes has meaning, and therefore I don't need to overwork to prove myself. Therefore, I don't need to be addicted to my five side hustles in my career in order to prove myself to God. My work matters to God. Tim Keller says in his fabulous book, Every Good Endeavor, which I commend to you, Every Good Endeavor, he says, everyone will be forgotten, nothing we do will make any difference, And all good endeavors, even the best, will come to naught unless there is God. I want to say that again. Everyone will be forgotten. Nothing we will do will make any difference. And all good endeavors, even the best, will come to naught unless there is God. If the God of the Bible exists, and there's a true reality beneath and behind this one, and if, life is not the, if this life is not the only life, then every good endeavor, even the simplest ones, pursued in God's response to God's calling, can matter forever. Every, every good endeavor, even the simplest ones, pursued in response to God's calling, can matter forever. Being a chemist matters. Being a postal carrier matters Being a student matters. Changing tires at Sam's Club matters. Being an athletic director matters. Being a teacher matters. Leading a school matters. Wiring matters. Raising kids matters. 
because there really is an eternity. There really is a reality behind this one, and every good endeavor pursued in in response to God's calling matters forever. This is good news for the social justice warrior who strives day after day to make this world a better a world a better place, but who is trapped on the hamster wheel of new causes and new problems and new banners to raise up and take up each and every day. I am so thankful that there are people that care about justice. I'm so thankful for the prophets among us. I'm sorry that we like to stone you. I'm so thankful for them because they remind us that we aren't in heaven yet. They remind us that there really are problems in the world. They remind us that we have been given real spiritual authority and power to love mercy, to do justice, and to bear fruit, to bring heaven to earth. But the good news for the social justice warriors in the room or online is that you don't have to strive. You can go to God and discern your calling and do that thing without apologizing for not caring about what everybody else says you should be caring about on that given day. Right? And it's not to say that these things don't matter while we pursue this one, but if you aim at everything, what do you hit? Nothing. And so God calls us to walk with him, to partner his purposes, to to chase after that one thing. This is good news for those who find themselves curious toward and then held in captivity in powers of darkness. Listen, spiritual warfare stuff isn't just like what Art and Pam experienced when they were living in Thailand and then like when they came through customs, it was left in the airport. Spiritual warfare and spiritual darkness and the powers are present here too. Last, last year, somebody in our community recognized um, that there was like an entanglement that they couldn't quite escape. And, and upon praying with them and working with them, we realized that this profoundly spiritual experience was actually tied to like demonic influence way back here. And so we prayed together. We took up the authority that Jesus gives us. And that person is a very different person now, Right? A friend of mine told a story about evangelizing, um, uh, and they were going out and they were evangelizing in public, which means they were going into a bus station and they prayed beforehand, and whoever God highlighted, they went and talked to. So they went and talked to this woman, and she was, uh, she was what, was what my high school English teacher would have called a woman of ill repute. She was a prostitute. Um, and so they, they prayed with her, and, and she received the gospel. But there were, like, two benches that sat back-to-back. And this was before COVID, so, you know, it wasn't closed. Cause... And there was this guy there, and so they went around the other side of the bench and said, hey, would you like to receive the gospel today? He goes, kind of cussed at them, absolutely not. And they said, well, would you like to talk about that dark spiritual being who stands in the corner of your room every night, and that's why you can't sleep? <laughs> and the guy goes, yes, yes, I would like to talk about that. <laughs> Because he thought that was just normal. He just thought everybody kind of, he thought it was like anxiety or depression or whatever. And so they prayed and that guy slept, put his faith in Jesus. uh, As we, as we seek to be as we seek to be more than your usual church experience. 
come in, listen to a really great message, go home feeling the tingles. As we seek to call everybody in our church at a variety of ways to lay their lives down for the kingdom, even while they pursue good endeavors like teaching and other things. As we kind of press into that which is not usually pressed into, there is a kickback of spiritual warfare. And that's not because we are awesome. We're like the heroes of the story. Uh, in fact, it's, it's just because as we try to take back territory that the enemy has considered his for so long. And so that's why I teach a lot on this. Because it's just kind of, it's not in the foreground of our life together, but it is a natural part of our life together. It is just the cost of doing business. Um, and so we stand, right? The Lord has plans. The enemies has schemes. We try to discern the plans of the Lord. We stand against the enemy's schemes. We see kingdom breakthrough. Um, don't know why I'm telling you that other than I just am. It's good news that we can be set free. This good news makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God. This good news makes it possible for us to find our ultimate purpose in partnering with God to bless the world. Are you held captive today? Are you held captive today? Then hear the good news. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Steph, would you come lead us? Here at Regen, we have response time because we don't just want to be hearers of the word. We want to be transformed by it. We want our lives to be different because of the ways that the Holy Spirit gets our attention and we act on that. And so this morning, as we've kind of heard this message about kingdom freedom and this invitation that the Father has for us to be free from workaholism, um, from maybe spirituality that isn't of Jesus, um, from even this, this social justice kind of drivenness. So my question for you this morning is, um, do you need that freedom? And if you need that freedom, what's keeping you from accepting it? The Father eagerly offers it to you, and it's, and it's free. Um, if that's you this morning and, and you sense that urgency, you sense you know, your heart's beating, you kind of sense like, yeah, I think that's something the Father has for me, um, you can come. There'll be Some of the oversight team will be in the Otterbein room. We'd love to pray with you. If you just want to tell someone about that or ask questions about that, we would love to talk with you about that. If you're someone who is already experiencing that freedom, my question for you is who else in your life needs that freedom? And I want to invite you to be praying for them. I want to invite you to be looking for moments where the Father gives you opportunities to talk with them about the freedom that you have experienced and then to have the courage to do that in that moment. Um, so we're going to take a moment here of silence. The band will play. 
Um, and I just want to invite you to ask the Father, how are you getting my attention this morning as it relates to your kingdom? What are you inviting me to? What are you challenging me to? So let's just let's take a moment. Father, I just pray for those who are present here today, whether online or in person, who are in bondage to sin, or maybe just even who are believers in you but still feel just um, this weight and this heaviness and this need to strive. Father, I pray that they would accept your extended hand of mercy and of grace and of freedom. Father, I pray that they would not hesitate today, but that would accept your invitation and would talk to someone about that, that they would find freedom in following you. Father, we confess those of us who um, already are followers of yours that sometimes we don't live like we're free, that we still are distracted by this world, that we are still overwhelmed by the things that we see around us that it seems like work maybe is the answer for us. So Father, we repent of those things. We repent of the ways that we allow these things to creep in and take over your place in our lives and our hearts. Father, we also confess that we sometimes don't think this freedom is worth sharing, that we don't live like it's the most important thing we've got, that our citizenship in heaven is the most important thing about us. So, Father, I pray that we would be a bold and courageous people that have compassionate hearts for those in our lives who are so far from you and who so desperately need the freedom and the grace that you have to offer. Father, break our hearts for what breaks yours. I just ask these things in your name.